Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you are and what time of day it is. So, I'm back after a brief hiatus due to moving from Southern California to Northern California, I mean, Northern Nevada. And so, now we're back with Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry, starting with Chapter 25, Legend of the Dionysiac Artificers. We now approach a very interesting topic in the legendary history of masonry. The reader is aware that the Masons of the Kingdom of Tyre were invited to join with the Jewish builders in the construction of the temple. Who these Tyrian Masons were, what was their character, whence they came, and what was the influence exerted by them on the Jewish workmen with whom they were united in a common labor, are all questions only to be solved by a reference to what may be called the legend of the Dionysiac Artificers. This legend was entirely unknown to the old Freemasons of the Middle Ages. There is no reference to it in any of the manuscripts. The brief allusion to the Dionysiacs of Asia Minor in Robison's anti-Masonic work does not necessarily connect them with the Masons of King Solomon. The first writer who appears to have started the theory that the Masons sent by King Hiram to the King of Israel were members of the Dionysiac fraternity is Sir David Brewster. He presented the legend under the guise of a historic statement in the history of Freemasonry published in the beginning of the 19th century. The authorship of this book, although it was actually written by him, has been falsely attributed to Alexander Lawry, the bookseller of Edinburgh, and at the time the Grand Secretary of the Grand Lodge of Scotland. Brewster may therefore be fairly considered as the original framer of the legend. The origin of the mystical and architectural society which Brewster closely connects with the Masons of the Temple may be given in almost his own words. Between 1055 and 1044 years before Christ, or something more than half a century in advance of the building of the temple, the people of Attica, complaining of the narrowness of their territory and the unfruitfulness of the soil, went in search of larger and more fertile settlements. Being joined by a number of the inhabitants of the surrounding provinces of Greeks, they sailed to Asia Minor and drove out the dwellers in that portion of the western coast from Phocia to the north to Miletus in the south. To this narrow strip of land they gave the name of Ionia because the greatest number of the adventurers were natives of that Grecian state. After partly subduing and partly expelling the original people of that country, they built several towns, of which one of the principal was Teos. Before entering upon this conquest, the Greeks had made considerable progress in the arts and sciences which the adventurers carried with them into their new territory. They also brought into Ionia the mysteries of Pallas and Dionysus before these had become decayed by the excesses of the Athenians. Especially popular, not only in Ionia, but throughout Asia Minor, were the mysteries of Dionysus, the Roman Bacchus. In these, as in all the religious mysteries of antiquity, there was a funereal legend. In the Dionysiac mysteries, the legend of initiation told or represented the death of the demigod Dionysus, the search for and discovery of his body, and his restoration to life. 
During the initiations, the candidate was made to represent in his own person the events connected with the slaying of the hero god. There was first a variety of ceremonies to prepare and introduce the candidate, intended to call forth all his fortitude and courage. Then the aphanism, or loss or concealment, or mystical death of Dionysus, torn to pieces by the Titans, was presented in a dramatic form. This was followed by the confinement or burial of the candidate and the representative of Dionysus in the pastos, couch, or coffin. All of these incidents of drama and of ritual formed the first part of the ceremony of initiation. Then began the search for the remains of Dionysus. This was continued amid scenes of the greatest noise and confusion. Finally, the search having been successful, the morning was turned to joy, light succeeded to darkness, and the candidate was invested with the knowledge of the secret doctrine of the mysteries, the belief in the existence of one God, and a future and immortal state. These mysteries of Dionysus were very closely connected with the Society of Architects. This association, according to the legend which we are now considering, had much to do with the organization of masonry at the Solomonic Temple, and it is necessary to take a brief notice of its origin and character. Fairly well-founded as historical fact is it that at the time of the building of the Temple of Jerusalem, there existed at Tyre as well as in other parts of Asia Minor an association known as the Dionysian Architects. They were so named because they joined to the practice of operative architecture the observance of the religious rites of the Dionysiac mysteries. We have already stated that the priests of Dionysus devoted themselves to the study and the practice of architecture, and about 1,000 years before the Christian era, or at the time of that King Solomon began the construction of the Temple of Jerusalem, they had emigrated from Greece and established themselves as a society or fraternity of builders in Asia Minor, where they undertook the construction of temples and other public edifices. Hiram then reigned over the kingdom of Tyre, and from his cultivation of the sciences has been styled the Augustus of his age. He is said to have patronized these religious builders and to have employed them in the great public works by which he adorned and strengthened his capital. The internal government and the usages of this association were very similar to those exhibited by the Masonic Society at the present day, and which the legendary theory supposes to have prevailed among the builders of the Solomonic Temple. The fraternity was divided into communities called Senatiae, having houses or dwellings in common, which might well be compared to the Masonic lodges of the present day. Their places of meeting were also called in Greek koina, which signifies community. Each received a distinctive name, just as our lodges do. Thus, Chishel speaks in his account of the pre-Christian antiquities of Asia of a koinen ton atalistan, or a community of the atalistae, so-called most probably in honor of King Attalus, who was their patron. There was an annual festival, like the General Assembly or Grand Lodge of the Freemasons, which was held with great pomp and ceremony. Chandler says, but he speaks of a later period when they were settled at Teos, that it was the custom of the Synod to hold yearly a General Assembly at which they sacrificed to the gods and poured out libations to their dead patrons. They likewise celebrated games in honor of Bacchus. At these festivals, the crowns which had been given by any at the communities as rewards of merit were announced by heralds, and the wearers of them were applauded by other members. These meetings, he adds, were observed with a great display and festivity. The same traveler mentions a long decree made by one of the communities in honor of its magistrates. This edict he found inscribed on a slab in a Turkish burying ground. The thanks of the community with a crown of olives are given as a token of regard to these officers for their great liberality and carelessness while in office. 
and to keep green their memory and to lead others to imitate their merit, it is also enacted that the decrees be engraved, but at their expense, so desirable, says Chandler, was the testimony to the individuals and so frugal the usage in bestowing it. As an architectural association, the Dionysiacs used many of the implements employed by operative masons, and as a secret brotherhood, they had a system of signs and tokens by which any one of the members could make himself known to the others. Professor Robeson, who may be accepted on this point as authority, admits that there were distinguished from the uninitiated or profane inhabitants by the science which they possessed and by many private signs and tokens by which they recognized each other. Each of the koina, or separate communities into which they were divided, was under the direction of officers corresponding to a master and wardens. The Masonic principle of charity was practiced among them, and the wealthy members were bound to provide for the wants and necessities of their poorer brethren. The legend connecting these architects with the building of the Temple at Jerusalem assumes that Hiram Abiff was a member of this secret association. The Bible does not favor this claim, since it states that he was simply a worker in metals and precious stones. But we may suppose that such craftsmen were admitted into the association of the Dionysiacs because their decorative art was necessary to perfect the temples and other structures built by the latter. Historically, the legend proceeds to state that when Solomon was about to build a temple to Jehovah, he made his intention known to his friend and ally, Hiram, king of Tyre. And because he was well aware of the architectural skill of the Tyrian Dionysiacs, he besought assistance to enable him to carry out his pious design. Hiram agreed and sent him the necessary workmen, who, by their skill and experience, might supply the needs of the Israelites. With the body of builders came Hiram Abiff, who was as a curious and cunning workman, highly praised by his patron, was entrusted by King Solomon with the superintendence and placed at the head of both the Tyrian and Jewish craftsmen as the chief builder and principal conductor of the work. To this distinguished artist, on account of the large influence of his position and the high personal virtues which tradition gives to him, is to be credited, according to the legend, the intimate union of two peoples so unlike in customs and so opposed in religion as the Jews and the Tyrians, which resulted in organized Freemasonry. Let us suppose that, as the legend assumes, Hiram Abiff was connected with the Dionysiac fraternity. Then we may also suppose that he could not have been a very humble or inconspicuous member if we may judge of his rank in the society from the amount of ability he is said to have, have possessed, and from the place he held in the esteem of the King of Tyre. Hiram Abiff must therefore have been very familiar with all the ceremonies of the Dionysiac artificers, and must have enjoyed a long experience of the advantages derived from the government and discipline which they practiced in the erection of so many sacred edifices. These ceremonies and this discipline he would naturally be inclined to introduce among the workmen at Jerusalem. He therefore united them in a society similar in many respects to that of the Dionysiac artificers. He taught his fellow builders the Masonic lessons of charity and brotherly love. He established a ceremony of initiation to test by practical experiment the worth and fortitude of the candidate, adopted secret methods of recognition, and impressed the obligations of duty and the principles of morality by means of symbols and allegories. Difficulties must have arisen in uniting the pagan symbolic instruction of the Tyrians with the religious notions of the Jews. These, however, the legend ingeniously overcomes. Easily the most prominent symbol of speculative Freemasonry, that indeed on which the whole of the ethical instructions is founded, is contained in the lesson of resurrection to a future life as developed in the allegorical legend of the Master's degree. This very doctrine was also illustrated by an allegorical legend in the pagan mysteries of which the Dionysia were a part. 
In the mysteries of Dionysus, which were practiced by the Tyrian architects, the legend related to the death and the later resurrection of Bacchus or Dionysus. It would have been utterly impossible to have introduced such a legend as that for the basis of any instructions to be given to Jewish initiates. Any respect to the myths or fables of their pagan genteel neighbors would have been equally offensive to the social and religious prejudices of the Jews. They were a nation educated from generation to generation in the worship of a divine being who they had been taught was jealous of his prerogatives and who had made himself known to their fathers as the Jehovah, the only God of time, past, present, and future. This basic difficulty of obtaining a legend on which the dogma of the third degree might be built was avoided by putting Hiram Abiff after his death, at which time only the system could have been perfected, in the place of Dionysus. The lesson taught in the mysteries practiced by the Dionysiac artificers was thus translated into the Masonic instruction, the form of the symbolism remaining the same, but the circumstances of the legend necessarily being different. By this union of the Dionysiacs with the Jewish workmen and with the introduction of their mystical organization, the Masonic order assumed at the building of the temple that purely speculative form connected with the operative which it has ever since retained. Freemasonry took from its Jewish additions a distinct religious character as a pure monotheism, the doctrine that there is but one God. From its Tyrian element, Freemasonry borrowed its peculiar mystical character and its system of symbolism. These features so put it in harmony with the ancient pagan mysteries that a legend has been framed which traces the origin of Freemasonry directly to those secret associations of antiquity. This particular legend has due consideration in the present work. When the temple was finished, the workmen were invested with all the secrets promised in their initiation. Thus becoming master masons, they dispersed that they might be enabled to increase their knowledge and to renew their labors in other lands. Such is the legend which seeks to credit the present form of Freemasonry to the connection of the Dionysiac artisans of Tyre with the Jewish workmen at the building of the temple. So much of the legend as relates to the existence of a sodality or fraternity of builders at Tyre, leaving out the question whether they were or were not Dionysiacs, some of whose members went to Jerusalem to assist in the construction of King Solomon's temple, may be accepted as a historical standing. What were the real influences exerted by them on the Jewish people is a question whose answer finds no place in history, but must be surmised. Brewster describes the Dionysiacs as they existed in about the 3rd century before Christ and after their incorporation by King Attalus, as if they maintained the same condition in the reign of Hiram of Tyre 700 years before. For this statement, there is no warrant in any historical record. That the Dionysiacs of Tyre and those of Teos were identical in organization is simply a theory based on mere assumption. Certainly, they who adopt the legend that Freemasonry was first organized at the Temple of Solomon will find much to sustain their theory in the legend of the Dionysiac artificers. It is equally certain that those who deny the temple theory must reject the Dionysiac. The two are too closely connected to be parted in any offhand way. Laying the subject of Freemasonry altogether aside and considering the relations of the Tyrians with the Jews at the temple as a mere historical question, it would present a very interesting study to determine the results of that connection if there were any way of solving it except by guessing. Later, history of the association of Dionysiac architects forms no part of the legend just recited, but we may here to advantage trace their progress.
about 700 years after the building of the Temple of Jerusalem, they are said to have been incorporated by the king of Pergamum, an ancient province of Mysia. As a society exclusively engaged in the erection of public buildings, such as theaters and temples, they settled at Teos, an Ionian city, on the coast of Asia Minor, where notwithstanding its troubles, they remained for several centuries. Among the works by them were a magnificent theater and a splendid temple of Dionysus, ruins of which still remain. Becoming unruly, they were at length expelled from Teos and departed to Ephesus. King Attalus sent them from that city to Myonesus. The Teans, sending representatives to Rome, requesting that the Myonesians should not be permitted to fortify their city, the Dionysiacs were moved to Lebedos, about 15 miles from Teos, where they were welcomed. In the 5th century of the Christian era, the emperor Theodosius forbid all mystical associations but the Dionysiacs are said to have continued their existence until the time of the Crusades. Then they passed over into Europe and were merged in the association of builders known as the Traveling Freemasons of the Middle Ages. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.